Welcome to the Smart and Sustainable City Podcast. We reach out to the women and men that strive to make cities better places to live and to innovate in, leaving no one behind. And now, here's your host, Pierre. Hello, everyone. This is Pierre Mirles. Cities today face a massive urbanization challenge. They must meet the need of present and future generations of residents and visitors. So we talk to key smart city experts to better understand their unique perspective on how to face these challenges and address them. Smart and sustainable cities must improve their quality of life and their urban operations as well as services. We explore the human, environmental, and economical dimensions that make them. We look at some innovative approaches and latest technology to solve some real urban problems that your city might be facing. In this episode, we talk to Kapil Narula, a senior researcher at Geneva University in the energy efficiency team. Hi, my name is Kapil Narula. I work here at the University of Geneva in the energy efficiency team as a senior researcher. Uh, I come from India and I've stayed all in, all in various cities of India, including New Delhi, Mumbai, uh, mega metropolitan cities, Calcutta, uh, and some coastal cities in India. And this is where you grew up? Uh, yeah, I grew up at New Delhi. Yeah, so it's, it's going to be a change with Geneva, right? So India yeah, and... Uh, absolutely. Those are uh, 20 million plus population cities. Right. Uh, so it, it's, it's a big difference. Yeah. So what do you do at the University of Geneva? So I'm a researcher. I work on decarbonization of heating. Uh, I work on the Swiss Energy Strategy 2050 and try and look at uh, energy transitions. We were talking about smart cities and, and where they've been, where they are, and obviously you have a global view. And what, what is your assessment of where are we with uh, smart cities uh, today? Yeah, cities across the world have different characteristics uh, and they are defined more so by the people who live in it. Uh, their culture, their economic background, their social status, uh, and so on. Cities depend a lot on the infrastructure and that sort of defines uh, in some way uh, what happens in a city, how people live and uh, what's the ease of living in a city. So uh, it's, it's important to characterize a city and see uh, what kind of people stay in it, what are the city infrastructure, including what are the public spaces, what is the transportation, uh, what is the energy consumption, how much is the waste generated by a city, and so on. There are various parameters on which we can characterize. And, and whatever their size, they seem to be all facing a, um, the challenge of urbanization. A lot of people are coming to cities, and, and UN statistics actually show that more and more people are going to be living in cities. So the, the, that is an infrastructure challenge, isn't it? Absolutely. I think 55% of the world's population today lives in cities, and by 2050, it's going to grow by 275%. 
And the two main challenges which I see in a city is uh, emissions and energy use. Uh, so globally, cities account for about um, 60 to 70 percent of uh, energy consumption and about 75% of energy-related GHG emissions. And in a world where we have agreed to have net zero emissions by 2050, uh, I think cities have an extremely, extremely important role to play uh, in uh, reducing uh, GHG emissions. going to get there i mean this is a very ambitious goals and we see and hear about it on tv and on the radio but is there is this realistic is is there do you see from your point of view a plan to get there Absolutely. I think this is a very, very important question and a very challenging question. Uh, so politically, there is commitment on the table, which is shown by countries. I think about 60 plus countries have committed to net zero emissions by 2050. And more than 10,000 cities have a, a goal on GHG emission reduction across the world. Uh, and interestingly, I'll share some of the experience which uh, the students came up with as a part of our uh, exercise. So these students were asked to compare 10 odd cities across the world and uh, to try and set targets for GHG emission reduction and energy consumption reduction. Uh, some of the key parameters which they used were per capita energy consumption and per capita GHG emissions of these cities student realized how difficult it is for uh, cities to achieve this goal. Uh, it, it, it's also important to know that while there are political commitments and governments have agreed, uh, the measures uh, to move from this uh, current position to uh, this target are extremely difficult. Right. So, so it is, it is very hard, but is there, do we have line of sight? Do we see some actions that can be taken by cities to actually tackle this, this big challenge? Definitely. When cities have committed uh, to this goal, they are taking some initiatives, uh, especially on reducing emissions, electrifying transportation, uh, decarbonizing uh, heating systems and electricity generation. Uh, but also, I would like to say that it's very important that we look at uh, lowering our consumption and here the concept of degrowth, uh, which is actually reducing and not growing, uh, becomes very important. Uh, the concept, similarly, the concept of energy sufficiency uh, is also very important that we reduce or limit our consumption. And this goes beyond uh, what is produced uh, and goes beyond the national borders. Because what we see is if we do an environmental assessment, then most of the pollution is being exported to uh, third world countries and low income countries. And uh, this, this cannot continue in the way this is happening. So therefore, there has to be a focus on degrowth or reducing your consumption. Mm -hmm.
So reducing the consumption when you say degrowth, you can, you can still have positive economical growth and degrowth of carbon emissions. Are those two compatible? Yeah, so we've already seen a decoupling of uh, GDP and emissions in the EU. Uh, there are similar uh, examples in the Scandinavian countries and, uh, and various other cities also. Uh, but when I say that we have decoupled this, uh, we all we have we do not consider the emissions which are outsourced to other countries. Uh, in fact, some of these city climate plans and national plans uh, take into account uh, the outsourcing or buying of carbon credits from various countries. And uh, uh, I, I think if we look, we should look at a net zero world rather than a net zero city. I think right. if that goal is adopted internationally, then uh, it would be a much better sustainable world to live in. That's very interesting. You, you did mention some cities in Scandinavia. We know they're very uh, advanced in, in, in what they do. Do you have some um, ideas or examples of best practices that you've seen being implemented by, by cities? Yeah, I think uh, I'll take the example of uh, heating systems decarbonization in Denmark and uh, some of the Scandinavian countries where you have a target of decarbonizing heating. And what they're doing is one, promoting uh, district heating networks. And these district heating networks are fed by renewable energy sources, such as large scale uh, solar uh, collectors, uh, coupled with uh, heating, uh, coupled with the heat storage. Um, they are also looking at biomass gasifiers, uh, doing also sector coupling, moving on to lower temperature district heating networks. Uh, so so that renewable sources of heat can be integrated into uh, these systems. And that will make for decarbonization of the heating systems. Uh, looking at uh, emerging economies, and while the focus there is on growth and economic growth takes priority over environmental degradation, uh, but there are certain cities, for example, I would mention uh, Aruvil city near Chennai in Tamil Nadu in India. And there, uh, the concept is to use minimum. Uh, they also have advanced technologies like uh, solar PV generation, uh, rooftop solar and microgrids uh, with active demand control on electricity supplies, peer to peer uh, trading of electricity, and so on. Uh, at a country level, Bhutan is an example where uh, gross happiness is more important than GDP, and it's already a net uh, negative uh, emission country. Uh, so I think there are good examples, uh, but scaling it up, uh, and uh, uh, especially uh, for a small for for a city with which is densely populated is uh, an extremely difficult challenge are you seeing some of those best practices portable from one city to another i mean there there's some great ideas that cities come up with are they sharing enough
there are platforms to share these ideas, uh, but each city is unique. Uh, the challenges might be same, the solutions might be same, but the way they are implemented is, uh, is the key to, so each solution has to be customized to a city. Uh, but yes, the basic principles of uh, zero emissions, uh, zero waste, uh, I think these are common across all sustainable cities. So does it start with having a plan? For a city to have a plan to become smarter and more sustainable? And starting in that plan, should it be what you just mentioned about carbon emission? at the very fundamental core of that plan. Absolutely, I think the first and the most important uh, part is to have a vision and to set targets with deadlines. Uh, only if this commitment is made by a city, uh, you can go ahead with the next steps. And it's also important that we realized across uh, various cities that some of these cities which do not have these targets, they do not, they have not made much progress. Uh, and uh, after the target comes in a plan. Uh, the plan has to be implementable. It has to have finances which are allocated. It has to have monitoring and verification mechanisms. And also there has to be essentially a component of citizen engagement with this plan. Uh, the plan has to be reviewed uh, at least in five years and the targets need to be updated. Uh, and I think uh, this process or the cycle this the cyclical process is very very important for a sit for a city to achieve uh, zero emissions and waste isn't it uh, that it starts with engagement of citizens and people and you teach to passionate students what have you been the most impressed with uh, with your students would you see that engagement and passion to help that world we live in get to that position of zero emission by 2050. Yeah, I think uh, that's the key because human behavior is the basis for any kind of change. And uh, we have to count on the next generation, uh, the young people to bring out this change. Um, what I have observed when interacting with these students are that they are very, very enthusiastic and positive and uh, they have the will to make this change uh, because they realize that it's their world after all. And uh, therefore, while they understand the challenges uh, which this entails, uh, exposing them to these uh, issues and challenges also looks at, uh, they are forced to think about the solutions to these problems and how would their behavior change, uh, bring about this change. Very good. Thank you very much, Professor, for your thoughts and, and these insights. Thank you so much, Pierre. Thanks for listening to the Smart and Sustainable City Podcast. Tell us what you think about this program. If you're in charge of a smart city project or would like to share your view about your city, do reach out. We want to hear from you.